Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Well, today, everyone, really sad, sad news. But Bacharach has died at 94. So I want all you ladies, he wrote this, to sing along as a tribute. Is that Aretha? Oh, I love her. Before you, the moment I wake up, before I put on my makeup, I say a little breath for you. I'm rubbing my hair now. I'm wondering what dress to wear now. Say a little prayer for you. Oh God! Whenever you'll stay in my heart, and I will love you forever and ever. We never will part. Oh how I love you together, together. That's how it must be to live without you. Would only mean heartbreak for me. You brought us many, 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 many years of happiness and inspiration. Well, there I'd, will never be another one like him. I'd never heard of Bert, but I do know his songs. How could you know of her? It's literally everybody. Now, listen. <laughs> it's like doing a podcast with a fetus. But that's fine, because fetus implies youth. So I'm going to take that. I'm going to take but that I don't chin. understand people who don't... It's the same as when I watch The Chaser. He says, oh, well, you're too young to know about the Beatles. Educate yourselves. You know, it's like I, I know every single Marx Brothers film. They came out in the 30s. It doesn't mean I was alive then, despite what Wikipedia says. I certainly don't know any Marx Brothers film. Oh, I would rather... The pl- Marx Brothers. No, Groucho Marx no. is so... And Margaret Dumont starred... Oh, no. In all the Marx Brothers film, and there was a, f- he, she was very bosomy and mature. You see, Hollywood didn't always have just sort of little stick insects. It had Margaret Dumont. She said he, she, he was always chasing after Margaret Dumont, Groucho Marx, very, very funny man, and she, he was always trying to get Margaret Dumont to marry him, and so she said. Well, I, you know, if I married you, it would be really big of me. And he'd and he say, well, it would be big of me too. Oh, God. He was, she was already married to someone else. If oh, I married you, it would be big of me. me. So yeah, it would be a yeah, big, yeah, big of yeah. me too. I would rather pluck my armpit ha- hair out with tweezers and watch a Marx Brothers film. But I would. they're really I would. funny. I would. But there's no, a scene on, no. the sh- on a ship 
with a tiny cabin and more and more people coming to the cabin, bringing food and doing massages. There's millions of people in the cabin. So every time I'm out and it's crowded, I say it's like a Marx Brothers film and no one gets it. No, no. Pluck no one gets it. With tweezers out of any part of my body rather than that. Gracie, 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 Gracie gets as much airtime on this podcast as we do. <laughs> Don't switch the lights on. Do you know one of the most irritating things Nicola does? She's like a man. She puts the central lights on. That's because I'm going down your stairs in the pitch but black, stepping over pulleys. Ow. Use your phone light. No, you could just switch a light on. No, no. It's normal to switch a light on. I had on. a man here cleaning my carpets and he put a light on. I'm going, don't do that. Don't do that. The poor soul probably didn't even know what he'd done wrong. It's perfectly like normal behaviour. Who to put puts a light central on? lights on? Well, when you're going downstairs, you need to kind of know where the last step is. So tell us about your washing machine. Well, <laughs> it's like 101 class here to look like a bloody idiot. I'm just going to start it off before anyone says it. So my washing machine wouldn't spin. And I was like really angry it wouldn't work. I cleaned out the filter, which is a real mission. I drained it. I got it out and checked all the wires weren't buckled. I was literally spent ages on it. And my poor mum did about like 10 loads of washing for me, all the dog blankets and everything, all my sheets, everything. She was literally like a laundry, you know what I mean? She went up for me because I was I was Especially when we're bound from the laundry, well, I am. Well, you're bound. And so she got, I got the repairman out, so my mum went all the way to my house and sat and waited for him. He walked through the door, 10 seconds the problem was in 10 seconds. What was it? I turned the spin dial off. I'd actually turned it not to spin. So note to self, I need to put my glasses on and use a torch because it's in like a little dark corner. So I obviously couldn't see what I was doing. I turned the spin off. So my mum had done all that washing. I got the repairman out and I looked an idiot. And he didn't even know how to tell my mum. It was like... <clears throat> Um, she's turned the spin off. My mum's like, what? <laughs> she done all this washing for me. Can you not blame the cat or something? Or no, the man? it's Martin. just, I've obviously just gotten to the situation in my life where I need a pair of glasses and a torch to operate my washing machine or a digital washing machine that's got lights on. That's just where it goes. So I felt a complete and utter twit. But I did get all my washing done. So thanks, mum. That was great. And I also went to a beagle meet at Preston Park. And this is a 101 in how to look like a Dalmatian. Because you walk in the field, which is very muddy, and there's like this sea of beagles. So when you say sea of how beagles... How did you know which beagle's yours? Because mine was the one going around testing the bloody boundaries to see if he could escape. Mine was the little sod that hadn't been there before and was just establishing whether or not he could get out. Everyone else had already done that. And you walk in and it's so nice being in like a field with lots of other dog lovers who just accept that their dogs are naughty. It's just, you walk in, you just accept all beagles are naughty and you just take it for granted. So you are literally got got all these paws all over. They're just climbing you, using you as a ladder to get to the cocktail sausages in your your pocket. 
and we all left literally just like covered in mud but it was great because we've all got the same horror stories I sort of stood in the middle of all these people I didn't know and we all had the same conversation of when I got my rescue beagle I thought my garden was dog proof and then my dog disappeared and I spent three hours looking for him. It was the same, every single person had the same story. And I was the star of the show. Do you know why? Do you know why I was the star? Because I got a tracker on Boris. Everybody now has gone off and ordered a tracker. Literally, it was like, show me your app. So I was like, I was like friends instantly with everybody because they all wanted to look at my app. They used me for my app. So that was really good fun. That was really good fun. Do you fun. think they have a collie meet where you meet lots of collies? Well, if it was a collie meet, you'd need like... See, with the beagles, you're like digging down into the ground like foxes in a chicken coop so that they don't get underneath because they're little... With a collie one, you'd need like sort of like 15-foot high fences, wouldn't you? I remember when I had Sam, your dog, and... At your house. At my house. And I had really, really high walls. I mean, they they were really high, wasn't they? And he actually, I went into the garden to see Sam climbing up the trellis, literally like a cat, climbing up the trellis and his backside going over the wall. I've, I didn't know dogs could do that. Where was he going? He, he'd gone. I literally was running around the whole place looking for him and I found him in the end, but he'd just gone. But it was like a cat. And Minnie, do you remember Minnie used to jump up that wall? What's that, 15 foot? She just, from the floor, just used to jump up it and over it. So, yeah, I wouldn't like to see what happens at a collie one. But Boris was the one going round the boundaries looking for the escape. Maybe Teddy could go with you next week dressed as a beagle. Dressed as a beagle. Well, we had a couple of beagle crosses. We had a beagle cross that looked a little bit pointery and things like that. We sort of had, but I don't think... Collie would quite get away with it, but it was joyous. But have you been watching Nolly? No, I haven't been watching Nolly because I... You probably never saw Crossroads. I did. How come you've not never heard of Burt Backrack, but you've watched bloody Crossroads? I'll tell you why. Crossroads was something I used to watch for my (gasps) nana. Teddy's just chewed... My Plaza Athena passport holder. Where's your passport? Was he eating it? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well. Teddy, um, that was the Plaza Athena. You give it back to him. You get. You want him to have it to There's turn. no point now, is there? You could cut the corner off. No. It's, no, it's spoilt now. Okay. So, yeah. So, I used to watch Coronate, uh, sorry, Crossroads with my nan as a kid. I used to watch her... With that, I used to watch Prisoner Cell Block H. I used to watch In Love in Memory. And it really took me back watching this Nolly thing with Helen of Did Carter. anyone really care about Noel Gordon? Well, that's interesting, actually, because I I only watched She wasn't it. a very nice character, was she? She actually was. She had a, a, a really crappy reputation, but actually... No, I mean, in the programme, it wasn't oh, in a the great character. character. No, but she also, as a person, had a bit of a, a reputation for being a bit forthright, and, and I think that's what women in the sort of 70s and, and that got put as. If you were sort of authoritative and if you knew what you wanted and you were assertive, you got labelled as being somebody that was a bit of a problem. And actually, she was known to be really kind to, like, everybody that worked there, really supportive of other cast members. So she had this sort of quite unfair reputation. And I was a bit 
do I care about Noel Gordon, honestly? No, there was a, a review of the programme on Sunday and, and he just said she used to be in a TV programme, then she wasn't. No, I have to say... I watched it because I love Helena Bonham Carter. I love, I love her. I think she's. I loved her in Harry Potter. I loved her in Alice in Wonderland. I loved her in The Crown. I just love her. I think she's beautiful. I love the way she's aged and put on weight and got wrinkles, and she's still absolutely beautiful. I think she's amazing. So that's really the only reason I watched this series. But you know what? It was really really good and it was fascinating she was a really fascinating character and there was all these lovely sort of things that took brought back memories like larry grayson she goes to see larry grayson in shut that door and the generation game and all these memories for me that was from when i was a kid that just brought back that warm lovely fuzzy thing about sitting with my nan on the sofa watching tv so but she was a really interesting person and she's got a really sort of heartbreaking scene in episode three. She's she's left Crossroads. She's been There's sacked. more than one episode. There's three episodes. Oh, no, gosh. it's really good. Do you know what? I binge-watched all three episodes, and actually I really, really enjoyed it. And she's she's been sacked from Crossroads. She's obviously devastated. That's been her life. And so she's looking at doing other things. So she's doing, um, she's doing this play, and... She's struggling with it. She's gone from TV to theatre. She was in theatre originally, gone from them in TV for many, many years. And going back to theatre was a bit of a challenge. And she was just trying to do it as if it was TV, you know, like read from read from the script and just get the job done. Did she wear a wig? She didn't wear a wig. She didn't. She had a, a, a ginger a ginger hair. And there's a real sort of bit where she talks to the rest of the class. She actually starts opening up and, and showing herself to be vulnerable. And she's talking about how women that don't have husbands and families, are seen to have failed and, like, she was being talked about and people were saying she must be a lesbian because she They say that about me. But isn't it interesting that just because you're single, just because maybe you're older, just because you don't have a family, you're automatically assumed that you're a lesbian. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's mad. And she talks about how she was in love with a man for 20 years and he was married, and he wanted them both. And the women, the wife and her, agreed that they would share him because they both loved him. And one of the girls in the cast said, that's mad, you know, she must be mad. And she said, no, she wasn't mad. She loved him, and I loved him, so we agreed to share him. And then, you know what he did? Once he got them all agreed... and He went off with someone else. He went off with someone else. So, what a bastard. So she was saying that you've spent all these years loving someone, and I think it was 20 years she was she was with him, and you're taken in, and then something like that happens, and you've lost all your opportunities. You've loved someone, you've given your life to them, you've dedicated time to them, and you've lost things that you wanted to do. You've not pursued your own dreams, you've not you've not done what you needed to do and I thought how true is that of so many women you know they're, they're stuck in these marriages with these men and then the bloke goes off with someone or you know in abusive relationships and you've lost your time and you can't get that time back I can't get my back my childbearing years no because of my awful husband exactly exactly so he stole my childbearing years no. well one of them anyway and I think that's <laughs> one of them and I think that's really got me actually because i i listened to that scene and i thought how many of us is that true of you me 
you, like probably millions and millions of women. So I wasn't convinced I was going to enjoy it, but I actually loved it. And and she is amazing in it. That's my little treat. We can't talk about Happy Valley because Nick hasn't seen that either. I've just started it though, haven't I? Yeah, but I've you can't talk about the end. No, you can't. You can't tell me what's happening. I have to say, I watched episode one and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to power through that. I love the way she's just so rude to everyone. No, I love her. I love her. I think she's great. And beats people up. I, I really, really want to be a policeman. I'll tell you what, they packed an awful lot in the I'd be a great one, policeman. I'd arrest everyone. Oh, my God, the power would go to your head. You'd be, you'd be a tyrant. But I'd be stopping people and they're going to... I already tell people they're going too fast. I was going to say, you tell people off without a uniform. What on earth yeah, would you be Yeah, but can you like? imagine what I'd do in a uniform? Oh, God, I can. Oh, my God. I'd leave the country. I'd let you... You'd be like, oh, my God, you'd be horrific. You would, you you get all that. Because a lot of policemen, don't they? I know a lot of I'd go up policemen. and down the train. I'd say, stop eating. Sit up straight. Stop talking. Stop talking. Yeah, stop talking. Stop eating. Stop breathing. You're breathing too loud. Oh, God, no, you'd be a tyrant. Tyrant. Do you want to read this week's column? Go on. Or shall I read you, it? You can read it. This is all about my visit to a hairdresser, but it's not litigious. <laughs> I sent a tweet on Wednesday while I was sitting in the chair of a posh hairdresser in Mayfair. It was the tweet about the dreaded hairdresser's mirror. Yeah. My usual not method good. is not to lift my eyes to look at myself. When the stylist heaves between, behind me to discuss my needs, I'm sure I wrote hoves, but anyway, they've changed it to heaves. I swivel to chat to him or her. I never look at their, them talking to me in the mirror. I always turn around and look at them. Because I don't oh. want to see myself in the mirror. No, I, I must admit, I do, not even, I do not look in the mirror, ever, ever. I think they make it bad on purpose so that you have more done. Or, you know, when like they've a head actually transplant. finished, when they've actually finished. No, I don't want to see that either. Don't you? No. Oh, no, no, no. I, I do that, that Timothy thing where you swish your hair and... Anyway, on this particular day, a young female intern took pity on me and she placed a pile of coffee table books plus my Prada handbag in front of the mirror so that I could, Dracula fashion, avoid looking at my reflection. The response from women to my tweet of this tower of books in front of me in the hairdresser was instantaneous. So I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of tweets saying, oh, my God, the lighting is so unflattering. And I always look as old as the hills in the hairdresser. And I've stopped getting my hair cut as I cannot stand me staring back at myself. I first really looked at my face when I was five. The only mirrors in my house were in my parents' bedroom. And I remember sitting on the red velvet stool at my mum's dressing table and examining my profile in a triptych of mirrors. I was appalled. I had a face like a spoon. On my first day at school, I remember that I didn't allow anyone to look at me from the side. That's why I have very, very long hair. I use it to hide my face and my elephantine ears. Oh, there's nothing wrong with your ears. No, the Jones family have got huge ears. We have. Really? I've yeah, on my dad's got side. Big ears. On my dad's side, I have. It's because I've got long hair. Oh, my family got big boobs. 
In my 20s, I was loath to get contact lenses as I found the blur reassuring during my endless body conditioning classes. When I went on Celebrity Big Brother, my biggest worry when I emerged was not, has my boyfriend left me as he saw me without makeup, or have I lost my job, or has my horse died, or has Minnie escaped? Frequently. But will I be Twice a day. But will I be forced to watch my best bits? When I emerged and Emma Willis queued up the scene of me in a swimming costume in the bath, I kept my eyes firmly fixed to the floor. If ever the Daily Mail uses my barline photo, I read the paper with a mug placed over my face. I cannot stand it. If I do glimpse myself by accident, it can set me back years. Hotel rooms are a case in point, with mirrors I've yet to make friends with. Slide past, avoid. Why are there so many mirrors in the bathroom that show your arse splayed on the loo, that reveal the crinkles on the inside of your elbows that you've never noticed before? Interior designed by men, surely, as is the latest piece of technological torture, the fitness mirror, where you can join a virtual trainer in your bedroom, your entire body in front of you. Who would want that? Who could bear that? I can never work out whether women who love mirrors, who take selfies. See, whenever I get in my car, you've always had the mirror down in the in the sunshade thing. I don't know. No, I don't. You do. You do. Because I? I, I always slide it closed. It's always open. And Maybe I, it's when I'm putting lip gloss on. Might be when I'm putting you don't lip. need a mirror for that. Oh, no, I do. Otherwise, I get it all over my face. Anyway, people like Nicola, who, who keep using the mirror in my car, <laughs> are either deluded or blind. <laughs> Says I'm pretty there. blind, to be fair. Look at the washing machine incident. I understand how ballerinas think nothing of a wall of mirrors every day of their lives because their bodies are like machines, a means to an end. I admire open mouths, the young women on Love Island, who parade around with their buttocks on show and who sit under an unforgiving main light applying makeup. Although one recent contestant did reveal a chink of self-doubt when she remarked, I've got a grey hair. It's a sign we are actually ageing. <gasps> See, they hadn't realised it till then. <laughs> when you're 20, you think you're going to be 20 forever, don't you? Yeah, I still think I'm 20. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not, but I like to think. Much has been written, millions of words, about the perils of parading perfect images on social media. But when I was five, the internet hadn't been invented. My family didn't own a camera. I used to thank the Lord my parents had so little money they could never afford the dreaded school photo. We only ever got the proof. We never ordered the prints. Oh, no, no, we can't afford that. I think young women who take pride in how they look and how they dress don't fear their self-image, are better equipped to face the world, have meaningful relationships. See, I'm not, you see, I'm not, I've just hidden my whole life. Being so appalled at what I might see in that hairdresser's mirror doesn't make for a well-rounded relationship should I meet a man. My husband never saw me without a T-shirt in bed. I've always hated being touched. The day before the salon, I went to my dentist, had my teeth cleaned. The hygienist, I mean, she's literally an, an, a maniac. Do you know what she offered? She's, a, she's insane. What? She's insane. She said... 
She's got a tiny camera. Would I like to go on a journey around my mouth and see it on a TV screen? Why would anyone want to do that? I said, I'm not doing that. No, I don't want to go on a journey around my mouth. Why would anyone want to do that? That's revolting. No. Anyway, she said, it's better not to be blissfully ignorant, she said. And I think she might have a point. I think, but I think actually being blissfully ignorant... I don't want to go on a journey around my mouth, and I certainly don't want to sit in a mirror at the hairdresser. I think what's nice is if you... I mean, I don't. I think there's very few of us that look in the mirror and, and are really happy with what we see. Everybody doesn't like something about themselves, whether it's their eyes, their nose, their ears, whatever. Well, when David was walking around naked and suddenly decided to wear pyjamas, he blamed my mirror. <sighs> it's your mirror, he said. Not, not him. <laughs> but isn't it nice if we can just... We can look in the mirror, not necessarily like what we see, but just accept that's who we are and that's okay. Doesn't well, mean we don't want to be better or or or. or well, there is there things. is one one woman who is like that, and that was the late Queen Elizabeth. Because you remember, I interviewed Stuart Parvin for yeah. the previous Jubilee, yeah. and he said she just looks, stands, and looks herself in the mirror. And she's absolutely comfortable with how she looks and who she is. Yeah, yeah. She's got no illusion. She's got no vanity. My That's who I am. She's so beautiful, wasn't she, though? I mean, I'd be comfortable. But he found that beautiful yeah. that she was so matter-of-fact about how she looked. Yeah. I just think it's good if, like, I, I look in the mirror and I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with my weight. I'm not happy. My nose is big. I'm not happy with my gerbil cheek. I'm not happy with the, the way hair's coming out. There's a lot I'm not happy with, but I do accept that's who I am at the minute and that's okay. I, I would like to change it. I'd like to not look like that, but I do accept it's okay that I look like that because no, that's I'd who rather I am not, at I'd the rather minute. not know. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. This is from the Evening Standard. The archive is from the Evening Standard. We're going to talk about it in a minute. And it was 2005. And I remember I was still living in Hackney and Nurpal had gone travelling in India, so I was on my own. And I came up with a bright idea of going to the earthquake in Pakistan. And I'm thinking about this story I did because it was so brave to do that and no one helped me and I got the contacts myself and I just flew to Islamabad and they took my drink away halfway across because you're not allowed to drink alcohol, even on the plane. Really? No. But so you went to the airspace. But I was like oh. Patsy and Ab Fab, like holding on to my I miniatures. Bet yeah, I bet you was. <laughs> Shoving them down your bra. And I had my scarf and everything to wear when I got there. But I arranged it all myself. And I just think I was just so brave to do it. And I wasn't very well equipped. And... But I did find it quite exciting going to um, a disaster zone because when you land in Islamabad, rather than just queuing up for the passport thing like you normally do, there was a fast track for press, people who put up tents, the Red Cross, the Red Sickle. Yeah, getting through. Emergency people. So I was... Through the emergency queue, so I thought this is fantastic. I'm a proper journalist. You're, I'm going through the. Proper... You've made it now. You've yeah. done it now. 
And in a war zone. I just arranged to meet this man who was going to drive me somewhere, and I'd never met him before. And, and I remember driving through these roads, and I said, oh, God, this is terrible what's happened to the roads. And he said, oh, no, they're always like this. Oh. <laughs> and I went to Imran Khan's house to interview Imran Khan and met his sons. And the next day I got a taxi up to the sort of mountainous area where most of the earthquake was happening, and I thought that Pakistan was going to be hot. No, I would think that. But it was snowing. See, and I, I only yeah, had flip-flops. I not know that. I, I flip-flops. That. I only had flip-flops. It's like when my mum moved to Turkey and she sent me pictures of the snow, and I'm like, but you're in Turkey, mum. You're in, it should be hot. You're in, I, I can't get my head around these Mediterranean countries or these countries that I perceive should be hot having snow. I can't do it. So I've been watching the the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and there was a picture today of a dog that was dug out of the rubble and babies and it's just absolutely awful. Absolutely awful. I saw a young boy dug out yesterday and, you know, he he was dug out to find out that his mum and his brother had died. I mean, how awful. You know, you're a baby, you've had that old trauma and then you find out half your family are dead. It's just... Just awful, awful. I can't imagine. And I so, you know, it's sort of thing you'd like to be there to help, wouldn't you, to do something. There's just nothing you can do. And it feels... Well, that's kind of... I will read some of the story in a minute, but that's kind of what I felt. But I got up to the earthquake zone in a taxi and standing around were all these soldiers with machine guns. And I was thinking, why aren't you helping? Who are you going to shoot? You could. Sh- well, why, what am I going to? Th- you know, yeah. like, why are you going to shoot me? Yeah. yeah. And they're just standing around now helping. And I took lots of blankets in the taxi, and I thought, why isn't everyone doing this? No. And then you'd see children with their limbs with gangrene being amputated. Oh my God. Because if you've got broken limbs, they get gangrenous very quickly if you're not taken to hospital and everything. And then I'd get back to my hotel in a taxi and you'd have a pineapple juice by the pool. And you think, I'm having pineapple juice by the pool, but I've just seen these children who've got gangrene. Yeah. And why is no one helping them? Yeah, no, I I have to say the difference in, in, in a lot of these places where there's poverty and then you've got these hotels which are, are... amazing and everything now i could not be in one of these hotels and not go and help i just couldn't do it i just i don't know how they sort of can exist side by side like this you know whether it's there's an earthquake or a disaster or whether it's just people living in poverty i just i just couldn't do it i remember when i was in delhi with my husband who's indian and there was a naked baby on the pavement and i was like Oh my god! Oh my god! You've got to pick it up. He's like, no, they put it there deliberately. They're beggars. Just leave it. They put it there deliberately. Just leave it. But oh god. I just—it was just—I couldn't cope with it. No, 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 no. I—I I, I have to say, I—it—it it kind of makes me not want to go anywhere. I mean, obviously, this is different because it's a disaster zone. But even just on holiday, it makes me not want to go anywhere because I'm frightened that I'm gonna see animals being abused or, or starving or children hungry and, and there's not really anything long term I can do about it and it, it's it it I find that really difficult. Yeah, I think when you're writing about it or reporting on it, you are performing a function. You're telling people about what's happening. Yeah. Whereas and it's so funny, I wrote this piece and I came back and my editor, a woman, 
who's married to Tom Bauer, and she's now in the House of Lords, she said, because obviously part of the interview was an interview with Imran Khan. He was married to Jemima Khan. Yeah. And she said, Liz, I hope there isn't too much about the earthquake and there's lots about Jemima. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cutthroat, isn't it? It's just bloody cutthroat. Yeah. Oh, my God. So let's hear you, your archive. It's actually a very nice picture. I don't know what your problem is. Yeah, that was airbrush, that one. On the page is a big picture of Jemima. There is a big picture. On the of page isn't, you know, little tiny tots with gangrene. It's a picture of Jemima in a in in a in a beautiful suit with lots of diamante crusting on it. And I just read the stand first. So the introduction to um, a piece is called the stand for us. It's sometimes called the A matter, and I misread it. And it says, when the earthquake struck Kashmir, one of the first on the scene was, and I thought it was going to say Liz Jones, but it said, <laughs> it said one of the first on the scene was Imran Khan. In a rare interview in Islamabad, Liz Jones talks to him about Jemima. <laughs> Unbelievable. The tiny unmade road to Imran Khan's farmhouse in the hills outside Islamabad is full of cracks and holes strewn with rubble. Is this because of the earthquake? I asked my taxi driver, who just told me he lost three members of his family in the disaster two weeks ago. Oh no, this is normally, says, skirting a goat and plunging through a riverbed. The weird thing about entering a disaster zone is how the normal manages to run quite happily alongside the terrible. There I was only this morning, eating a pomegranate in the hot sun by the hotel pool, and then half an hour later, I was inside the Pakistan Institute of Medical Science Hospital, staring at some of the 900 children on the wards, many of whom had lost limbs because of gangrene. Some had parents by their beds, many didn't have anyone, but most managed a weak smile at this strange white woman in their midst and waved, they're the little hands oh, waving. Oh, bless her. God, kids are just so resilient, aren't they? The children's faces are in my mind as I'm shown through a cool courtyard into Imran's house. It's all stone floors, white walls and squishy sofas. I stand in his sitting room and take in the view. The city is laid out below. A collar of mountains are in the distance, some tops with snow. It's the snow, of course, that will arrive in earnest in four weeks' time, which means a death toll estimate of 70,000. 70,000! That's shocking. Will only get worse. I can see Amran Khan striding towards me across the lawn. He looks very fit and athletic, and he's wearing Ray-Bans, a polo shirt, baseball cap, and alarmingly skimpy floral shirts. And alarmingly skimpy floral shorts. Two small, sinewy, honey-coloured boys, his sons, Suleiman and Kazim, by his ex-wife, Jemima, are shrieking and giggling by a pool. I was able to buy all of this, Imran says, his arms taking in everything we can see. When I sold my London flat, the boys will want me back soon for a game of cricket, said the former Pakistan captain one of the best all-rounders in the game. You see, I did my research. You did. They are really annoyed that I've sold all my cricketing memorabilia, everything, to raise money. They're getting pretty good at cricket. 
He suggests we go up to the roof. This is where I come every night just to sit and watch the sunset, he says. Normally you cannot hear a sound up here, he adds, trying to make himself heard above the sound of two American helicopters flying low overhead towards stricken Kashmir. We can see his sons waving at them. How can he explain to his children the extent of what has happened? They do understand, he says, taking off his shades. Not taking off his shirt, I might add. Or his shorts. That would have been nice. Or his shorts. (laughs) They do understand, he says, taking off his shades to reveal those famous brooding hooded eyes, now etched with lines. He's undeniably still attractive, but seems exhausted and really rather scruffy. Unlike most handsome men, he seems to have no vanity whatsoever. We're building a camp on my land for the people coming down out of the mountains, providing tents, food, water, and the boys have been helping with that. They've already offered to give the children all their toys. Oh, bless. Imran was one of the first on the scene of the earthquake on 8th of October and says what he saw will stay with him forever. I took off by road and when I arrived I saw these appalling scenes, operations being conducted in the open, children lying on the ground with broken bones, some paralysed because stones had fallen on their backs as they crouched in terror. Local people had driven there, every seat laden with supplies. The soldiers just stood around, pointing their guns, doing nothing. In Muzaffarabad, all the mothers who survived ran to the schools. When I got there after four days, they were still sat in the rubble. They could still hear the screams. There can't be anything worse than that. As a parent, I don't think I could take that. I would die if that was one of my sons. Although he said he is sceptical about how much aid from the West will actually be delivered, three British Chinook helicopters had arrived only the day before we meet. He blames the corruption of Pakistan's president for the chaos and fears money raised will be simply disappear. In response, he set up his own relief fund. He learned how to raise money after his mother died from cancer at the age of 63. And Imran Khan built a hospital in her name in Lahore, which still treats 70% of its patients for free and which has dispatched doctors, nurses and equipment to the disaster zone. He says, the moment news broke about the earthquake, Jemima, Jemima, I put Jemima in the copy. Jemima. to happy. Jemima was on the phone asking how she could help. She was sending money and she was sending bags of clothes, which arrived the day I did. I asked if she would be coming to join them and he shakes his head. No, no, the boys live with her, but they spend the holidays with me. It sounds as if he and Jemima might not be on friendly terms after their divorce last year. Well, we have a sort of working relationship because of the children, he says carefully. We deliberately decided to have time apart. When a marriage ends, there are a lot of emotions. And if you keep very close, it's not healthy. It's a time to give each other space, to move on, to settle into a new life. Now, though, we have a friendship. My ex-wife, Jemima, gets a bit annoyed because when the boys come to stay with me, we all sleep together. She says, Imran, Suleiman is eight now. But I tell her, the thing I remember most in my life is my mother lying next to me, even when I was 12, 13, telling me stories from the Quran. The boys seem to be having a great time while they're here. I take them hiking, I take them hiking and camping. And in the summer, I held a house in the mountains right over there. He grew up never seeing much of his father, who was always working. Did he make a conscious effort to be there for his children? I didn't get married till I was 41, remember, so I had them at a later age. I'd watched all my friends who were cricketers having families, and they didn't have any time for their kids. 
I don't know how any one of my friends who enjoyed his children as much as I did. Nothing gave me greater happiness. Nothing came close. I was completely hands-on as a father. I look forward to seeing my son so much I can't sleep the night before. I wonder how the children cope with the divorce. For two years before we got divorced, Jemima was already living in England. I was living in Pakistan, so it wasn't a big trauma when you move out of the house. What I feared most was the impact it would have on them, but it's worked out well. They've grown up knowing everyone is holding you. They know how much I love them. When they got married, Imran was 41 years old with a colourful past. Jemima was a 21-year-old, the daughter of the financier Sir James Goldsmith. He admits they couldn't have been more different. Marriage is a lottery. It depends on whether you grow together. That's the key. If you don't, you will have a lot of tensions. I always said that if you marry someone from a different culture, you have to give it more time, much more time, and I gave it less. When they got married, he didn't know that politics would take over his life. Although I studied politics at Oxford, he says, I knew nothing about the life of a politician. Now I'm far more organised, but when I started, poor Jemima, when she came here, it was so difficult. I had no idea what politics was. The hospital still took all my time. I was all over the place. Although Jemima converted to Islam and learned Urdu, she found living in Pakistan difficult. The opposition would target her, attack her, and Jemima is very shy, the poor girl. Then they slapped a tiles case on her. What does that mean? Claiming she was trying to smuggle antiques out of the country. The tiles are still there, by the way, in the downstairs courtyard. It must have literally been tiles, I suppose. I remind him of an article in Vanity Fair written when he and Jemima were still living in Lahore, which painted her life as one of poverty and petty annoyances when things such as the electricity failed. That was not Jemima at all. The magazine judged everything using material values. To me, materialism is a curse, he says. I started playing cricket when I was 18. I travelled all over the world. All my friends were in the jet set. But I've yet to meet someone whose money makes them truly happy. When I was a young man, I thought that owning a yacht in the south of France and eating at expensive restaurants would make me happy. But when my mother died, I learned the only reason to be rich is to be able to give your money away. How will he ensure his sons grow up with the same values as him? I give them a very strong religious education. Spirituality is the most important thing to me. I ask if he thinks Jemima would get married again. See, I kept bringing her up because I knew what would happen you if I got back. You knew what the editor would want, didn't you? You knew what you wanted. And whether, <laughs> and whether the paparazzi photographs of her with Hugh Grant have caused him any pain. Is he jealous? I'm quite cut off from everything here, he says, ever the politician. I think it's so important for her to be happy for her sake and for my children. I don't ask her about her relationships. When the time comes, she'll tell me. I can see he might be a difficult man to live with. When he starts talking politics, it's hard to make him stop, and he often doesn't listen. Although he's warmer than I expected, with a great big booming laugh, he has a tendency towards old-fashioned chauvinism. He keeps referring to his sons as my children. He became so boring talking about stuff, I, I sort of nodded off. Really? Yeah. Did he being handsome not help? He, he's just so... Serious and focused. focused. Yeah, you know, it's, it, you couldn't. I couldn't cope with that for more than one afternoon. Mind you, deep respect to the man. You know, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Oh he's, yeah, he's no, he built a hospital. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. He feels content. I have no fears. He tells me. I do not fear death. I lead a very easy life. I want for nothing. I go hiking in the mountains. I love to shoot wild partridge, my favourite dish. I grow all my own vegetables. Does he miss being married? And he obviously did get married again, but then yeah. that broke down as well. Yeah. 
Look, I'm 53 now, he said. I've spent most of my life as a bachelor. I was only married for nine years. Will I get married again? I'm too experienced to make rush predictions. It might it happen, it might not. I enjoy solitude. I like being able to read and write and think. And I'm not lonely. I asked him if he is in love. The local photographer who had accompanied me told me he'd spent the summer trying to catch Imran with a woman to no avail. No, Imran says, narrow eyes twinkling. I'm not in love. I'm all by myself. At this point, his son Suleiman, clearly bored, comes over and grabs his father's arm. Imran Khan picks up a bag of cricket balls. Because they're observing Ramadan, they will play until it gets dark and then have supper together before Imran gets back to work, phoning and conjoling, back to the horror that lurks in the mountains. I'm planning a treat for the boys before they fly back to London, he says. The England cricket team arrive at the end of the week and the boys will get to meet them all. Is he tempted to moonlight as a commentator? Nowadays, only when I'm about to run out of money do I contemplate doing anything with cricket. Is that about to happen? Are you about to run out of money? Right now, I'm definitely about to run out of money, he says. So I, I will be a TV pundit and then I'll have enough for the rest of the year. And he disappears to adjudicate over who is exactly is going to be first into bat. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at Liz Jones Goddess. Do you want to know what the readers have said this week? Come on, man. So this week you were Alex Shulman this week, wasn't you? I was Alex Shulman for a week. I put on a few dress sizes. You did. Now, Gordon, Gordon. read this and said, Hi, Liz. Last Sunday, I didn't recognise Alexandra Shulman from her new column pic. Trousers instead of skirt, new hairstyle. Has she got someone new in her life? But now this week, she's morphed into you. Can mansplaining ever be helpful? Are you sure you want a Phillips screwdriver and not a posse drive screwdriver? What the bloody hell, Gordon, is a posse drive? Gordon. Gordon. (laughs) Gordon. (laughs) Wasn't there a pop record, Gordon is a moron, Gordon is a moron, Gordon is a moron? You're probably too young for that. No, it's completely true. No. There was a pop record, Gordon is a moron. Gordon, is it about you, Gordon? I think he may be sort of trying to facetiously be helpful. It's called a Phillips screwdriver, Gordon. <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to Google a posy drive screwdriver. <laughs> right, and we've got Shirley who says Who? Shirley. 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 I don't usually read Alex Shulman's column, so I was thrilled to see it was you this week. Yay. I cried reading your column about delivery drivers. Did Who she has cry not, with laughter? I think so. Who has not felt your pain? How many times have I stood outside my house staring at a yellow van waiting for the driver to emerge once I'm actually allowed to receive my parcel? You summed up the sheer madness perfectly. Oh, and be careful. George doesn't read this and might send you a dick pic. More Liz Jones, please. Yes, I wrote about George, who we talked about in the podcast. He said I had a face a dog wouldn't lick. George is quite famous now. George, George, I think, has got his own podcast. Not famous now. Famous. 
Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.